Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. It's time to take a look around the NFL with John McLean from gallerysports.com and Sports Radio 610. Here's your boy Q. And John McLean joins us now on the phone lines. And John, we do appreciate you as always. Before we get into the NFL, I'm watching the Astros and I'm watching the Mariners and the Astros are down 6-3 going to the top of the 7. What are your thoughts on your Astros? They're stinking it up. Justin Verlander's awful again. He missed the last two years, and before that, he was terrible in the playoffs. When he first got here, he was great for eight games, and he has just stunk it up big time, choking hitters. They've just been awful. By the way, how's that guy that uh, Adams assaulted last night? Is he alive? <laughs> I thought yeah. it wasn't life threatening. Demond, <laughs> let me tell you what Q would have done if it'd been him. If that'd been Q that walked right in front of him and got in his way, and he pushed him down. Q'd have been writhing on the ground, holding his back, and then he would have stopped and called for a stretcher and a cart and a neck brace. He'd have been getting a lot of money. (laughs) Well, it sounds like that that guy is trying to do just that, and we'll see what happens. What did you think of that? What did you make of that whole situation with with Adams and what the NFL might do? stupid for Adams to do it, and he knew it was stupid. Because he apologized, but his version is not exactly the version that it showed. But, you know, people, and the guy's probably going to have a settlement to make it go away. And, it, and it, But it, Adams did push him down. Mm-hmm. Now, that idiot that Wagner uh, hit last week when he was running on the field oh, yeah. with his pink sn- smoke bomb, and he files a charge. That is ridiculous. And I would hope they would throw that out because that was just preposterous. But, you know, Adams has never had a thing in his career as a hothead. He just lost his temper because they lost a close, controversial game to a, to a division rival. They know they had a chance to win and didn't do it. No, they didn't. Again, we're talking with John McClain here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. And, John, right after the game, uh, you texted me about that uh, fourth and one call, and you weren't a fan of it. Uh, what did you think that the Raiders should have done in that situation? I thought it was a terrible call. I don't think you go deep like that. you got a good running back. You're, you're, he's had, what, a season high in yards? Yep. Uh, one of the things that I was told, God, 30 years ago, Q, Kenny Houston, the greatest strong safety in history, first ballot Hall of Famer. Kenny told me 30 years ago when he was assistant with the Oilers, defensive players love short yardage and goal line offenses when offensive coaches come out and everybody's bunched up. He said, because if you make a mistake, somebody can cover for you. What they hate is when they come out and spread everybody out. Then if you make a mistake, it's a touchdown. And I always think that when I see coaches bring in extra linemen as tight end or extra tight ends, because a lot of times when you spread them out, you have a better chance to run the ball. But I didn't like that call at all. I had a couple of calls like that with the Texans. Jacksonville game, short yardage. Trevor Lawrence goes deep, way overthrows guys. Those are, uh, those are low percentage passes that if you make them, you look like a genius, but most of the time you're going to look like a goat because uh, they don't work because they are so uh, high high risk. That's what I meant to say. And you see that quite a bit. You know, the Raiders could have won that game. The Raiders could be unbeaten. You know it. Yep. Fans know it. The players know it. 
at some point is going to pay off in more wins. They're not going to. They're not going to finish in last place. The Raiders are so much better than the Broncos right now. It's not even funny. Yeah, they just got to find ways to finish games, John, and that's what they haven't done except for, well, against the Broncos. One time again, John McClain's our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. What did you think of the decision to go for two following Devontae Adams' second touchdown of the game? Uh, you see that every once in a while against the Chiefs because coaches don't trust their defense against Patrick Mahomes, and in this case, Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. It's hard to believe the Houston Texans were in the playoffs in January of 2020. Now, that was after the 19th season. They led Kansas City 24 to nothing in the divisional round mm-hmm. after they beat Buffalo in the wild card round. And so they're up 24-0, and then the Chiefs scored a couple times. Travis Kelsey had three touchdown catches in the first half, and Bill O'Brien, their coach then, made some really stupid decisions, and it was because he didn't trust his defense to stop Mahomes. But, uh, boy, you do play defense, and... Uh, I just I, I I didn't like that call either. John, when it comes to roughing the passer, we've seen it in the Tampa Bay game with Atlanta where you get the flag, and I think that was obviously just a, hey, you can't do that to Tom Brady call. But then you see last night, Max Crosby has an identical tackle against Patrick Mahomes and no call, and obviously Chris Jones when he falls on top of Derek Carr roughing the passer. How much do you think that the league is overreacting to what happened to Tua Tungavailoa a few weeks ago? I think that the referees get weekly reports in their meetings with the league and they are constantly talked to protect the quarterback so if they're going to be overly cautious and air it's going to be on the side of the quarterback now the fact that brady's 45 years old and having off the field issues and he's the greatest ever they're always always going to lean to his side but the one with jones having his left arm down to brace him and the ball in his other hand, that was that's the kind of thing. It should be reviewable. And I think a replay in New York would have seen that and would not have called that a roughing because the explanation the official gave to the pool reporter is not what we saw in the replay and because he put his left hand down to try to cushion it. And I think this, Bill Belichick has tried for several years at the league meetings in March when the competition committee recommends rules changes to the uh, owners. So let, let coaches review anything they want. You don't get more challenges. You get the same challenges, but if you see an egregious call and today it can't be reviewed and you can then, hey, you do it. If it doesn't work, you lose your timeout. Games wouldn't last longer. And I ever they have added so many things through the years, and I think that's one they should the one I felt the sorriest for was the Dolphins. You know, they're missing Tua. Mm-hmm. Teddy Bridgewater has one play, a spotter, must have fallen asleep and dreamed that, that he hit his head because you pull him out of the game. And on the replay, nobody could see anything that would make them think that Bridgewater should come out of the game. So they got a third-string rookie, and they lose. And if that happens to other players, imagine Derek Carr comes out on the first play or Patrick Mahomes, or Justin Herbert, anybody. Right now, they're all just freaking out because Tua had both of them, and they had it on camera, and uh, they made that first mistake against Buffalo, and I hope this is not the way it's going to be for the rest of the season.
yeah, you've been covering the league for such a long time. How long do you think maybe before it goes, the regression to the mean happens when it comes to the overprotection of quarterbacks? Because I think all three of us know in a playoff game of what happens to Teddy Bridgewater happens to Aaron Rodgers in a playoff game, the league is going to let him stay in the game. I think what happens before the playoffs, they have meetings and they say, okay, guys, this is what we wanted in regular season. Some of you were a little overzealous, but let's be, let's be careful here. Let's make sure we're more careful. But if you're going to err, err on the side of the quarterback. Because if they don't and a quarterback gets hurt, like, say, Tua, and he's the starter and he's off to a great start, then everybody's going to react the way they've reacted. Why didn't they get him out of the game? Yeah, no, and, and that's, I mean, they should have had him out of the game to begin with. Shouldn't have never been playing on that Thursday night. Again, John McClain is our guest from gallerysports.com, also Sports Radio 610 in Houston, here on Radio Nation Radio 920. And, John, another penalty that I wanted to ask you about was the defensive holding on the field goal attempt from Kansas City. They missed the field goal, but it gets wiped away because of a defensive holding that, to me, I didn't see it. Apparently it hasn't been called since, like, 2015. Did you see that? And if you did, what did you think about that call? I didn't. I didn't see the holding, and and I'm. I'm. You can call holding on almost every play on somebody, if you want to. If you're looking hard of it, it's hard enough. Sometimes they're egregious. We see them on TV, and a guy's got two hands pulling a guy's jersey, and you go, "Aha, that's why they called it, or they should have called it." But sometimes an official will see something nobody else does, and a lot of times when you see the replay, the guy looks pretty sharp because he's made the right call. But that one, no. No, it, it looked like a really bad call to me as well. But uh, as we mentioned, the Raiders had multiple times to win the game. They just ultimately didn't. Uh, you, you always tell me that guys always go out there and perform at a higher level in a contract year, and that's what Josh Jacobs is in. Didn't get that fifth year picked up. He's third in the league right now in rushing, and you saw what he did last night on the big stage. He's running hard. John, does that look like a guy that's running for a contract? Absolutely. <laughs> Daniel Jones of the Giants, they didn't pick up his contract. They're 4-1. and one. He's playing for a big deal with somebody, and it's amazing. You know, uh, if you bet on yourself like Aaron Judge, that's one thing. But if a team doesn't pick up your fifth year, they're telling you they don't think you're worth it. And very seldom does a team not pick up the fifth year and the guy stays there. So Josh Jacobs, yes, he's, he's looking for a lot of money uh, that he's expecting. I'm sure his agent is expecting to get it from another team. Then the Raiders are going to have to find a replacement. Well, they went and drafted a couple guys. They have a plethora of running backs right now, but he won't let them get on the field. <laughs> he just He's out there, and he's just running the back-to-back weeks, John, with uh, uh, the career high as far as rushing yards go, 144 against Denver and 150-plus last night against the Kansas City Chiefs. What did you think about Matt Rule getting fired after 38 games in Carolina? It's been speculated on for quite a while. You know, people thought, well, Matt came from the NFL. No, he didn't. He's in the NFL one season under right. Tom Coughlin, and, but he always wanted to go back to the NFL. I knew that, and he got that $62 million contract because the Panthers thought he was going to go to the Giants. I thought he was going to the Giants. Everybody thought yeah, he was going I did too. to the Giants. Now, Panthers are hoping he gets a good college job, so whatever they owe him, what he's getting, will come out of what he's owed. And he can take, he can take his choice. He can take off a year and wait. I'm looking at all these jobs. You know, you covered him for years. He's best at rebuilding bad programs like Temple and Baylor. Does he want to go somewhere like 
Wisconsin, where they usually win. They recruit, and you got to sustain it. He went to Penn State. He's a Big Ten guy. Uh, would he decide to go to Arizona State? They say Auburn's coming in. I wouldn't want to go to the SEC if I'm a head coach. No. And now they're saying, what if Venables is a one-and-done at Oklahoma? Man. Well, if I'm him, I damn sure want to go to Oklahoma, <laughs> but they're going into the SEC. So it's a good problem for Matt Rule to have, and I wish him the best. And I know you do, too. Yeah, no doubt about that. What about his quarterback or his former quarterback, Baker Mayfield, who's now out with the high ankle sprain? Looks like he's going to miss a few weeks, and he hasn't looked very good at all, really, John. He's been terrible. I'm shocked. I thought he'd be better. I thought he would come in and uh, have that big chip on his shoulder, playing for a new contract, playing to show the Browns they were wrong. And instead, he's been terrible. And when, um, oh boy, uh, P.J. Walker, Mm -hmm. I think, is going to start this week. When Sam Donald's ready, he'll start. We may never see Baker take another snap for the Panthers and then be unrestricted after the year. Not a big market for him, but I'm just really surprised. And I wonder how much is the coaching. You know, one of the things, Matt Rule turned down the Jets because they didn't want him bringing Baylor coaches. He brought Baylor coaches to the Panthers. Usually, when you're a head coach and you hire your friends, your friends get you fired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, John, one thing that I wanted to ask you about, because I know that you're a little bit closer than we are in Dallas, Cooper Rush, he's been looking fantastic. Cowboys only have one loss on the season. Is there going to be a, co- a quarterback controversy when <laughs> Dak finally comes back? No, when Dak's ready, he'll play. Now, the controversy could come. What if What if he came back and lost two in a row? Right. Then he didn't play well. He didn't play well in that first game against the Buccaneers, but their offense was terrible in that game. I mean, Dak Prescott's a better quarterback. I keep telling this, the unsung hero is Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator. He's calling plays. And he's not calling all the same kind of plays for Rush that he calls for Prescott because Rush is not the athlete or the player that he is. And this might help Kellen Moore get a head coaching job. But right now, they're going to wait till Prescott's 100%. Some teams will wait till the guy's 100%. Then they'll wait one more week just in case the Cowboys have that luxury. They really do. Cooper Rush is doing just well enough, doing what they ask him to do to help that team win games. They're running the ball, and they're playing strong defense, and that's a good recipe for wins. Well, John, uh, what do you got coming out on gallerysports.com? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the, the Texans next week as a preview to the, the Raiders' week coming out of the bye. But uh, what do you got coming out on gallerysports.com? I'm going to be writing two Astros columns out of the next three days, and I can tell you right now the first one, will be very negative. <laughs> well, yeah, they're down now 7-3 to three in the bottom of the seventh. John, great stuff as always, my man. We definitely appreciate you. We'll talk to you next week. Talk Texans and Raiders. I can't believe DeMond didn't ask me about the Titans in their three-game winning streak. Oh, well, we'll talk about it next week. Thanks, <laughs> there you guys. go. Thanks, John. Appreciate you. John McClain right there, gallerysports.com, also Sports Radio 610 in Houston, and he's uh, locked in on this Astros game. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't believe that the Astros are stinking it up like they are down 7-3, to uh, bottom of the seventh, of course, the first game of the best of five in the ALDS. 318 is the time. Take a quick break. Got a bunch of text to get to, some tweets and some calls. We'll do it next on Radio Nation Radio 920. It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. On Raider Nation Radio. 
very unnecessary roughness. <laughs> Today is very unnecessary roughness here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Demond Cotton in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. I'm in the home studio as uh, I was over at Raiders HQ earlier today. Head coach Josh McDaniels met with the media. You'll hear a few sound bites from him uh, later on in the show. Matter of fact, I anticipate probably about 10 or 15 minutes we'll play you a few sound bites from head coach Josh McDaniels. Lincoln Kennedy, we're expected to talk to at 4 o'clock. And then we'll also talk to our high school football coach of the week, the Tom Flores High School Football Coach of the Week Award recipient uh, from Democracy High. Uh, so we'll talk to him at 4.30. That's coming up on the show. But uh, got some text to get to, got some calls to get to. Also, wanted to give you a little bit of a roster update. The Raiders PR tweeted out some roster moves. They signed wide receiver Albert Wilson to the active roster from the practice squad. Remember, he's a guy that they signed to the practice squad on Friday when I was at Buffalo Wild Wings. We got that news. So uh, Albert Wilson, we heard from him yesterday. I got a chance to talk to him in the Raiders locker room on Saturday before they left for Kansas City. He's now part of the the uh, active roster from the practice squad. They also signed cornerback Tyler Hall to the practice squad and they signed wide receiver Tyron Johnson, a.k.a. T. Billy. He's back on the practice squad and released defensive back Darren Evans from the practice squad. And uh, I highlight T. Billy, not that he's done anything all season long, but I remember when he was released on Friday, uh, I remember saying that I thought that there was a good chance that they'd probably let him clear waivers and then he'd come back and they sign on the practice squad. Then when I was in the Raiders locker room on Saturday before they left for Kansas City, uh, myself and Adam Hill saw his locker and saw all his stuff was still in it, including his personal stuff. It's one thing to have your jersey in there. It's one thing to have your pads in there. But when I'm seeing stuff that's like beats by Dre and this, that, and the other, I'm like, yeah, he's coming back. You know, the anticipation level is that he'll be back. And so T-Billy is absolutely back on the practice squad, and that's just where he has to continue to, to grind and see what he can do. A lot of fans are always clamoring for T-Billy, 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 but, you know, honestly, he hasn't done anything, right? And, and I know some people will tell me, oh, well, he, he can't throw the ball to himself. Well, he hasn't even really had the opportunity to get into the game very much, so that kind of lets you know. And this regime, the one thing I know about them, and this is not them telling me this, this is just my observation, if you're not great in practice, you're not going to be on the field. You know, and I'm not saying that T-Billy is not great in practice, but I also just don't see him as the guy that I believe is busting his tail to get on the same page with Derek Carr like he needs to to be able to build that rapport. So uh, that's just kind of what I saw in training camp. Again, that's not the regular season practice because we're only allowed to see the stretching period and uh, a couple of individual drills, and that's really all. So, uh, But T-Billy, through it all, is back on the practice squad. Uh, with the team. So there's that. Let me go ahead and get to a couple texts and a couple calls real quick. Matter of fact, let me hit the calls real quick. I know uh, Shields Up has been waiting for a while. Shields Up, welcome to the show. What's on your mind, dude? How things are. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I hope you and your family are good and so demand. Um, listen, it's all around. It's 360. It's the play calling. I'm just going to say the same things people have been saying, but just an overview. It's the play calling. It's the execution. Um, we're not playing four quarters. Um, as far as this game is concerned, uh, my man Nate Hobbs had a bad game. Mm-hmm. And uh, him and Mooring, I have full confidence in them both, though. But this is on the secondary. And um, the, uh, the pluses, I'll give you two pluses. The offensive line now seems to be coming, coming together. Because uh, we're running, we're averaging a, a lot of yards on the ground. Jacobs is hitting the holes. And the other plus is, how about the rush defense? The interior line, Nichols, I think we're had, we got a stout rush defense. Now, that being said, I'm going to be direct, Q. Okay. And it's time for roll call. You remember last year with the Chiefs killed us? 
what would end up happening? We came back, plowed our way through, and made the playoffs. So where are you repping from? Call in the queue. Let's be positive and shields up. Thank you for taking my call. Appreciate you, my man. Appreciate you. No doubt about it. And, uh, yeah, that's what it's all about, man. They got a week to regroup, uh, you know, lick their wounds, get healthy, and get prepared for Houston, right? I mean, and you got to do it one game at a time. This is, ta- this is down to the, you know, the stones cutting moment, right, where now all of a sudden it's real. You've got to handle your business week in and week out, and you've got to put together a streak. You know, whatever you want this season to end up being, and I'm not even talking about the P word. I'm just talking about the season being respectable. If that's what they want to do is finish this season off strong, and there's plenty of games to do that, still got 12 of them, you got to start it immediately, especially with games that are very winnable. No game is easy in the NFL. That's why these games are celebrated when teams win. But you have to start with the winnable games. The front, the front load of the schedule was tough. The back load of the schedule is tough. The middle is somewhat manageable. I'll just say manageable because I don't want to sound disrespectful to another team. The Raiders have to take advantage of the manageable part of the schedule. Let's go ahead and go out to Berkeley and talk to our guy, Raider Fish. Welcome to the show. Oh, man. Oh, man. Q, you know, let me clear my neck out. Uh, I'm going to stay calm. You didn't want people yelling at you, but I do like uh, Shields Up Energy, and I'm trying to myself I got a few observations, so just cut me off, man, because I don't want to trample on other people's time. Number one, I got to stay positive, and I hope the nation stays positive. There was a lot of lot of great things that we saw last night. We got a glimpse on how powerful and balanced this offense can possibly be, so we cannot ignore that. And somehow, some way, by hook or crook, if we could get to 4-4 four four with nine games left, we wouldn't be cooking with grease, but we might be cooking with sardine oil at that point. <laughs> now, <laughs> hey, since you always mentioned in the child child support piece, I got an analogy for you, and, and this would make me think, you know, what happened last night? Imagine a person being a responsible parent and paying their child support, you know, and the child now is 16 years old, two years away, 24 months away from, you know, that parent not having to pay child support. And then you get a letter from uh, the state says, hey, you know what? Uh, we noticed that you, you paid an extra month, even though you didn't. We're going to credit you that month. And then one month before your child turns 18, you no longer have to pay child support. And you're like, oh, oh okay, I don't, I don't know how quite to accept it, but I guess I have to. And then one month before your child turns 18, you get a letter from the state saying, uh, not only do you owe us that month, but because you made a mistake, you now have to pay child support until your child is 21. That's what happened last night with the rest, overcompensation. Anyway, I could go on and on, but I know people are waiting, and I'll be tapping in with you guys uh, later this week. Go Raiders. There's Raider Fish at Berkeley right there. I had no idea where you were going with that at first. I was wondering, like, man, this man just got a bad letter in the mail. Like, I had no idea. I didn't know if I was going to have to have, like, a therapy session or what was going on, but I got it. At the end, you tied it all together, man. You you laced it up like some shoestrings, man. So, okay, I got you. I absolutely got you. I know what you're – I'm picking up what you're laying down. Uh, again, like I said, I was lost for a long time, but I understand now. Thank you so much for that call. I do appreciate you. Let's go hustle out real quick to Hardcore Raider. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, my man? Hey, what's up, Q, man? I hope you guys are doing, are doing good. Um, yeah, we're good. <laughs> uh, 
few few things, man. I guess uh, when I got my chest. So you know, I've been thinking a lot about uh, you know, like if if this team is a Super Bowl team and like what it's going to take for us to get to the Super Bowl. Like you know, um, I'm pretty pumped up about the talent we have, but I still think there's a lot of a lot of holes on the team. You know, yeah. I don't think we were Super Bowl ready this year. You know, uh, so like I didn't necessarily have those anticipations. Mm-hmm. But definitely making the playoffs and winning a playoff game. And so I think some of the like deficiencies on this team, because like you can be, uh, and, and I did say this earlier on the radio, but I want to get your opinion. So with <clears throat> deficiencies on the team, I think some guys can step up, but I think eventually that talent, uh, it just kind of hits you. Like you don't have enough talent, you know, you can try and you yeah. can, you know, do a good job, but eventually that talent catches up with you if, you if you lack talent. And we got some guys on the team, especially in my opinion, at least on defensive line, an offensive line that really should just be backups, but uh, but they're starting. So when I look at it from that standpoint, we've given some good contracts. You know, I look at the Ziegler and the coach, and you know, I I actually don't mind you know the play calling from McDaniel's, but uh, with Ziegler, you know, like they're they're from an organization, the Patriots, where they're constantly known to not give you know people contracts. You would see it all the time with like cornerbacks and stuff. They wouldn't necessarily extend them. They would just already have a guy ready that they had previously drafted, you know. So they're big into developing guys. However, you know, there's a lot of guys on this team where we only really have like about, in my opinion, like a two, three-year window before now we have to give those guys contracts. And so I've looked into the roster a lot, and some of the guys that are going to be hitting contracts this year, and I know we don't want to be looking at like free agency and drafts, so I'm not trying to necessarily go there. However, when I look at it and I look at week, week eight coming up, because I believe it's week, week eight you can like uh, still trade guys and get some draft capital for. Uh, a few years ago, the, uh, the Steelers traded for Mika Fitzpatrick, and the, you know, they traded to the Dolphins, and uh, the Dolphins ended up getting a first and another pick, and, and the Dolphins also traded a couple picks with the guy. But you know, like for me, it's like if I look at some of these guys like Abram, Foster Moreau, uh, Perriman, Farrell, I mean, if we're not going to sign some of these guys and they're not going to be on our team, I mean, you know, I would think that this staff would be looking into some of these guys to see if we can get any draft compensation for them. That way we can develop uh, our team. Because the reality is, after we paid Carr and some of these guys, we're not going to be able to pay everybody. I mean, I thought Josh Jacobs did an immaculate job. Uh, I like to call him the silver bullet because, man, he hits the hole and he's like, just a (laughs) bullet coming out of the cannon. You know what I'm saying? And I would love to sign Jacobs. I think he's the heartbeat of this team. I think he has been. And I think that's why Gruden uh, drafted him. I know we're in kind of a pickle because some of the draft picks didn't work out. But, you know, there's a ton of guys coming up that we're going to have to sign. And so it'd be different. Like, the way I look at it, it'd be different if we could keep all the guys we got, uh, plus or minus a few, but then just pick up some, you know, some studs up for, like, D-tackle or maybe an O-lineman or two. But the reality is, like, there's so many holes, plus all the contracts, that we got to sign, and we don't just have an endless bank account. So my question to you, uh, and you don't have to call anybody. I'm not saying anybody. I, I mentioned names whose contracts is up, but is there anybody you would like look at if you were the GM and during this bye week of like, hey, maybe we could get some draft capital uh, for one of those guys, you know, before the deadline hits? Yeah, and thank you for the call. And I'll, I'll tell you right now that I, I absolutely believe that Dave Ziegler is doing just that. Right. I mean, I realize that all the players that are on the team right now aren't going to be guys on the team next year. Right. And and I think that when the new regime took over the squad that they took over, they realized that, hey, uh, all these guys are not our guys. They inherited a team. Uh, they only have a few handful of guys that are actually guys they brought in. And then obviously the guys that they extended, they believe in moving forward. But 
you know, I think there's going to be a lot of turnover. And, and I'm actually surprised that there hasn't been more turnover already. Um, I think that this team is talented. But the one issue that I have, and your strategy may actually work to help this situation, depending on how confident the front office is in their drafting, uh, you know, the, the way that they draft each and every year, is the Raiders have a lot of top-end health uh, ha- um, d- talent, but they don't have a lot of depth. That's something that we've been talking about now for two seasons. They have guys, you know, they have Devontae Adams, they have Darren Waller, they, they, you know, they have Hunter Renfro. But you saw what happened when Darren Waller went out, and you see Foster was already out. Then all of a sudden, you know, you got a, another tight end in there that he really has no business being in the game. Not that he's not a good player, but he's just, you know, he's not a top-end player. So the depth just isn't there, you know. And, and you mentioned the defensive linemen. You know, I like Hankins. I like Andrew Billings. I know Andrew Billings really well. Uh, I like Bilal Nichols. They were, you know, he was signed as a as a, a free agent by this regime. But, you know, Andrew Billings probably shouldn't be starting, right? I mean, he's. I think he's a good player. Don't make a mistake about it. But I don't know if he's a starter, right? I, I know he's going to give you everything that he has. But, again, I don't know if he's a starter. You know, I look at a guy like Rock. Rock Yassine. I think he's a good player. I think he underachieved in Indianapolis. You know, he's on a one-year deal. You know, I think Nate Hobbs is, is exceptional. He had a bad game, right? Amik Robertson, he's a guy that I, I, I think has the ability to continue to get better. You know, he didn't have a great game last night, but it looks like it's, the game is starting to slow down to him, so he's a guy to pay attention to to see if he can continue to develop. If he can, then the Raiders have them something. You know, there's a lot of questions. You know, I like the way that John Abrams has been used this season. I really have. I like the way that he was used last season until he got injured. I think that that's the ideal way to use him. So, you know, it, but if they don't see a future, to your point, if they don't see a future in some of these guys, and I don't know exactly who they are, uh, then, yeah, I think that it would make a lot of sense for them to go and try to move them before the trade deadline, try to get some capital for them, and hope that the guys that are behind them currently can just fill that void. I think you're going to see a lot of turnover in the next couple seasons with this team uh, as, as Dave Ziegler, Champ Kelly, and company continue to mold this and put this into what they are looking for, right? And look, that's what businesses do, right? If you have a new boss that comes in, at some point, you know, he's going to want to put or she's going to want to put that – that uh, that job in in the image of him or her likeness, right? I mean, that's just that's just reality. Everyone wants to make everything their own, and and the way that they do that is slow, gradual turnover. You can't just go and clean house immediately unless you just want to be terrible. And this team is way too talented to be terrible, so they're not going to just break it on down to the nuts and bolts and think, hey, we're going to start over again. That would be an awful rebuild that I just don't see them even thinking about doing. I think it's going to be a, a gradual turnover as far as the roster goes 337 is the time we'll take a quick break we'll come back got some more calls to get to got some text plus want to hear from head coach josh mcdaniels this is red nation radio 920 you're listening to unnecessary roughness with your boy q on raider nation radio coming up at four o'clock we'll hear from lincoln kennedy raiders radio broadcast former raider offensive lineman on the call with jason horowitz each and every game uh, of course, he's going to have his thoughts on what he saw from the booth on Monday night as the Raiders dropped to Kansas City 30-29, to and their overall record now is 1-4 on the season as they head into their bye week. Got a text from my guy Jay. He said, I never get it right to send a text to the text line, so I'm shooting it directly to you. I know going for two looks dumb, but it was the best thing to happen, was going for two and not making it. If we tied or took the lead, KC would have just milked the clock and beat us. They got a little conservative, and we had a chance to win. Either way, I'm sick. That's from Jay. And look, I 
know that there's plenty of different ways to look at the going for two situation. I I didn't like it personally. I talked about it on my podcast today that I wasn't a fan of that. I think analytics plays too much of a role in sports these days, and uh, sometimes you don't have to be – you don't have to think about it like that. You know, Ed Graney, he joined us in the first hour. He had no problem with them going for two. So it's different strokes for different folks. I get it. It's not something I'm going to harp on. It's not going to something I'm going to be like, Josh McDaniels has to explain himself. You know, like I'm not going to pound the table like it's that big a deal. Again, it's just my preference that they tie the game and go for, you know, and, and see what they could do with the defense to try to get the ball back. Look, the thing about it is uh, everyone says, well, it worked because we got the ball back. Okay, look, the thing is – Patrick Mahomes and company totally played a different style of ball once they had the one-point lead. When the Raiders went for two and didn't get it, the, the Chiefs just kind of – they didn't put their foot on the gas like they were actually trying to make anything happen, and so the Raiders did get the ball back. I don't know what would have happened if they had tied the game up. I don't know what the offensive attack would have looked like, but I'm okay with taking that chance, right? I'm okay with it because, again, I look at it like the players on the Raiders team aren't pressing. They're not saying, okay, well, we have to get the ball back and go and, and try to score. So they're not trying to do too much. They're more relaxed because they know that the game is tied. And if someone on the defensive side of the ball can make a play, maybe Max Crosby come up with a big play, maybe Hobbs steps up and has a big play. Who knows? Anyone has a big play. Then all of a sudden the game has changed. I just would have felt more comfortable with the tie and four minutes left to go in the game and you roll the dice and see what you got. That's just me. Not, nobody is, I don't think, correct in the way that they think, I just can give you my gut feeling, and you can give us your gut feeling. But here's head coach Josh McDaniels talking about the analytics part of what went into the, the thought process of the two-point conversion. Um, you know, we, 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 we are uh, certainly aware of the analytical portion of the, uh, the data that's available to us. Um, you know, I think at, at some point, you know, your feel for the game uh, is not, you know, unimportant. You know, and, and I, I was trying to feel the game out and, you know, you say, and look, I, I fully am aware of when you make decisions like that, there's going to be you know, people that agree with it and people that don't agree with it. And I get that, you know, um, you know, I thought that our that our team, you know, we were kind of. Uh, we, we were having a little trouble stopping them a little bit on defense, you know, in the second half. They had kind of got it rolling a little bit on us. Um, and, you know, just felt like if we could score, and again, we happened to score a little quicker than maybe I was thinking or hoping we would, um, you know, but hey, such is life. And I wasn't, I wasn't unhappy that we did. I just, you know, when we put it in, um, we had kind of already decided that we were probably going to do that, you know, when we went out there on the field to begin the possession. Um, you know, and if you, if you, if you gain uh, possession of the lead at that point, you know, it forces them to potentially try to get into field goal range or score a little bit quicker, um, you know, because they're behind, you know. And if you tie the game up, you know, there really is no downside to them taking their time and moving it down kind of, you know, just systematically trying to get it down there and potentially end the game with the ball, you know. And so... Uh, there's pros and cons to both. I understand both arguments. Um, I have no idea what we would have done in the past with a different team and a different nature. I just felt like in that situation, I also liked the play we had up and it had options on it and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, unfortunately we didn't get it in, but um, I don't regret that. I thought our players executed those things well in practice last week. And, um, you know, like I said, during the, the course of the game, I felt like that was the right thing to do. Now, there's Josh McDaniels explaining, you know, the analytics side of things and, and, you know, what goes into that decision. I'll say this. I didn't mind the, the play call, right? I liked the play call. I thought it was great, and it didn't work. 
So, I mean, that just lets you know that even if you have a great play call, doesn't mean it's always going to work. I thought that feeding Josh Jacobs was the th- right thing to do. I think feeding Josh Jacobs on third and one and fourth and one would have been the right thing to do as well. Doesn't necessarily mean it was going to work, but that's how I would have rolled with it. Again, I'm going to roll with the hot hand. You know, roll with the one that, that brought you, right? And Josh Jacobs is the one. I know Devontae Adams had the big touchdown uh, catches in the game, but Josh Jacobs was the workhorse, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, when we talked after the Denver Bronco game, we said, uh, is this the Raiders' identity? There's absolutely no question now. No question after two back-to-back weeks of Josh Jacobs just having career games as far as yards go, 144 against Denver and then 150-plus against uh, Kansas City on Monday night. I mean, the dude's running with a purpose. You know, as John McClain said, he's running in the contract year, so he's, he's playing for, you know, he's, he's, he's showcasing himself for every team across the league, and that's fine. Whatever gets it done. But I love the way he's running. He's running strong, and the way that he trucked that Chiefs player uh, in the game was fantastic. That kind of lets you know everything that he he was about. He was going to finish that run, and he was going to finish it strong, and that's what he's doing. So, uh, again, we can go back and second-guess the coach. Uh, I said it on my podcast. I'm not a big fan of second-guessing the coaches because they know a whole hell of a lot better than I do. I'm just telling you what I would have felt like and what I feel like that the team should have done because, well, it's just my opinion, and that's just what we're here for is to share our thoughts here on the show. So, Whatever, you know, it's not something that it's going to be, oh, well, remember when Josh McDaniels did that? No, I mean, you just at some point move on. The Raiders just have to find ways to win games. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. John McClain mentioned it. You know, they're, they're a 1-4 team, but, man, they're a lot better than a 1-4 team, right? Their record is not really um, a good resemblance of who they are except for it is what, what they are, right? They're 1-4. So you can't say that, oh, well, they're not there 1-4. Well, they are 1-4. I think they should be a lot better than that, but here we are. So there's that. So, DeMond, what, what did you think about the two-point conversion? Did you find it to be a big deal? or what, what was going on in your mind when you saw him go for it? Not a big deal to me. I mentioned it to you as we were watching the game. Hey, that's the type of play that John Harbaugh would make. And I, I was looking at it through the lens of what's, John, what's Josh McDaniels going to say? And it's probably going to sound something similar to what something John Harbaugh would say. And it did. Jesus, it's not so much the analytics, but it's the feel of the game. And I like that he said on that possession, that start of the possession, that the team knew, hey, if we score right here, we're going for two automatically. That, right. That's already that. That was the plan. It's not some spur of the moment. It's not, hey, Josh McDaniels trying to outsmart them. It's being gutsy and it's going for it. I'll pose the question to you, Q. The Raiders still lose no matter what. Would you rather them go for two? And I think I know what your answer is going to be. They lose the way they did or they kick the field goal. They tie it and the Chiefs go down and win on some miraculous last play touchdown or field goal. Yeah, I, I would I, I would personally prefer them to tie the game and then, you know, try to stop the Chiefs. And I know that wasn't they weren't that successful at doing it, but I feel like, hey, you got one possession to keep them out of uh, from scoring at all, right? And, and I would be okay with that. But, again, I get it, right? So, I mean, again, there's really no right answer. I just know what my gut feeling tells me. For me, it was, it was good to see the coach be gutsy because I know that the season, we all know that, hey, it doesn't matter. They have to play the games. But the schedule gets a little bit easier after yeah. this game. So, for me, this was a – I tweeted about it. This was Josh McDaniels' kitchen sink game. Hey, we're throwing everything at him and the kitchen sink. And it just didn't work out in the Raiders' favor. But I do think that if they were, were to win, would have won that game and they have the two wins, two-game winning streak going into the bye, it's a totally different story. We all know that. But I do like the plays that he called in the um, – the decision-making. I'm not questioning Josh McDaniels' decision-making because I do think that he put the team in the right places to win that game. Yeah, no, I, I understand that as well, and I, I agree. You know, And, again, we can sit here and second-guess and play Monday morning quarterback all day long. Uh, don't really want to do that. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's one of those things. It's like 
what it, what's your preference, right? You know, uh, some like grape, some like red, right? I mean, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. What flavor Kool Aid would you rather have? Me personally, I want Purple Source Rex. Some people they want you know they want red or grape. I mean, it's just it's one of those scenarios. Uh, a couple more sound bites, real quick, from head coach Josh McDaniels. Uh, how about the team learning how to win? What it takes to win close games? That's something that we talked about. We started off the show talking about the Raiders as opposed to last year when they were winning. You know, they were winning all those close games. Now they're not winning all these close games. So, uh, you know, obviously it's something about this team trying to close games out. What do they have to do? How is it going to come around? When are they going to be able to finish closing these things out? So uh, Joshua Daniels was asked about closing out games, and, uh, and and here's what he had to say. I think it's it's becoming more clear to them. Again, I think experience and actually getting it done under pressure um, you know, gives you confidence that you can do it again. You know, and, and we did a did some of those things a couple week, you know, a week ago against Denver, and we had our chances yesterday. Nobody can sit here and say we didn't have opportunities last night. That's not a true statement. So, uh, we had every opportunity to to really do a good job of trying to win the game, uh, whether that was get further ahead after the first half or uh, come from behind and and close the game out somehow, some way on offense at the end of the game. So. Um, you know, I don't think anybody here is is discouraged about the fact that we're not close. I think now it's about what do we need to do in practice? What do we need to do, carry it over to the games to be able to really make the plays that are winning plays at the end so that we have an opportunity to, you know, uh, close out, you know, a lot of these close games because that's what, that's what the NFL is. It's a lot of close games every week. And, um, you know, when you start learning how to win them uh, and finishing them, you start to get a confidence and swagger about yourself, and and then you you know when you get in the next one, you feel good about it. You know, so I don't think there's any shortcut. You know, we got to uh, eliminate the bad stuff. You know, too many penalties. Uh, we didn't turn the ball over, which was a good thing, but too many penalties, untimely penalties on our end um, that allowed you know either them to put us in a hole offensively or kept drives alive for them, or in some cases give them an opportunity to extend a drive and score touchdowns. Um, we got to clean some of that stuff up, obviously, because that doesn't help either. No, it doesn't help at all. Those penalties, those untimely penalties, the ones that got the Raiders in second and long and third and long, and I'll give the Raiders a lot of credit, man. Even those times that they were in second and long, they found ways to at least get it really close, you know, like third and and short or fourth and short or whatever. They found ways to battle back from second and long, first and long sometimes, uh, which is normally not doesn't happen. You know, now there was a couple times where it just snowballed and it really got out of control, back-to-back penalties and, you know, stuff like that where you just can't have it, but – uh, for the most part, the, the Raiders did a decent job, in my opinion, of battling back when they did get, you know, behind the chain. So I got to give them credit for that. Now, I got a bunch of texts that I want to get to real quick. 69187, keyword R&R. Make sure when you text us in, you use 69187 as the word, the, the, the phone number. And then you have to use the keyword R, the letter N, and the letter R. R, N, R, and then your message, and it'll make sure to get it to us. If you don't use that, it's going to go to our sister station, which is ESPN Las Vegas. Jason in Maryland said, Q, on a lot of those KC pass plays, you got to give them credit. Some of the play designs are just good. They create a lot of natural rubs or they put a guy in motion. They see we're in man, and they put up a, a guy in motion, then have him run a drag versus press. That uh, Press man, that's a tough cover. They did it all night. No, that's true. That's, I mean, 
Look, I don't want to take anything away from Andy Reid, the play caller. I don't want to take anything away from Eric Bieniemy, the play caller. I don't want to take anything away from the play designs. I'm not trying to do any of that. But with all that being said, and with you being able to see what they do and the fact that they create a bunch of natural rubs and they have the guys in motion and, you know, press man uh, is a tough cover on some of those drag routes, those guys see it on film too. Right? I mean, Patrick Graham and the defensive uh, coaches, they all see that too. So if you know that that's coming, you've got to find a way to at least be able to, okay, when you see this look, what do we talk about film study all the time? When you see this look, you know what's coming. Yes, I know they get very creative with some of their play calls, but, man, at times you've got to be able to diagnose something as, okay, I know what's coming. Jerron Harmon talks about it all the time. Film study, film study, film study has put him in position where he can make plays. So that I agree with you 100% with the play call and the way that the Chiefs line things up. But at some point, man, you know Travis Kelsey in the red zone is an absolute monster. They've got to find a way to at least put some hands on him, at least get physical with him on the line of scrimmage to, to create something, right? I mean, especially down there by the red zone, when you're up there inside the five, you really have an opportunity to go ahead and put some hands on him. And, and they, just didn't, they just didn't do it enough in my opinion. Uh, got multiple texts from Corky Williams Sr. He said, Raiders did all that last night without, call, without Waller. If you ask me, I think the Chiefs are spooked. I don't think the Chiefs are spooked out of anything in the league. I honestly don't. I think the Chiefs believe. If anything, I think the Chiefs, uh, their eyes were open last night like, oh, wait, this Raiders team is really a lot better team than we thought. I, I, but I don't think that they're spooked or shook about any team in the league. I think that they're very confident in what they do. Also, Corky said, every loss the Raiders have is suffered from themselves. I agree with that 100%. And penalties were the Raiders' downfall last night. Uh, it was a combination, but the penalties sure didn't, uh, didn't help. That's for sure. Uh, and I do think, like you said, every loss they've suffered is on themselves. I think that they've beat themselves each and every loss that they've had as they're 1-4 on the season. One more text. Q, and this is from the 904. Q, I think that our problem... With losing these close games is a lack of being in the new offense. I keep saying that it just looks like the offense is running slow. And, yeah, I mean, I hate to use that as an excuse. I really do because you put up 30 points or 29 points in a game and you got up 17 nothing, and it didn't look like the offense was moving slow then, right? <laughs> it looked like the offense was moving just fine. Even though the offensive line was still struggling at times, Dylan Parham probably had his worst game as a pro. Um, you know, and that's just what's going to happen as a rookie. Those kind of things are going to happen. It was looking fine when they were up 17 nothing. It's just the fact that that teamer penalty, in my opinion, was huge. Gave them an extra three points at the end of the first half, not to mention they were getting the ball coming out of the locker room, and that's a double whammy, double dipping, and they were able to score. So all of a sudden you look up and you're up 20 to, you know, you're up 20, what, 20 to 7, and then also you look up as 20 to 10. Then all of a sudden it's 20 to 17, you're like, whoa, what the hell is going on? You know, and just quick, fast, and in a hurry, the Chiefs are back in the game. So we'll get back to your text, 69187, keyword r and and we'll also get some calls after we talk to our good friend Lincoln Kennedy from the Raiders Radio Broadcast. He'll join us next. This is Raider Nation Radio 920.